Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Lovely to be back with you again at Ballyhalbert. I was down your way last week, away down at Port of Ogie. So I'm no stranger to these parts at all. And on a nice evening like that, it's just lovely to travel across the peninsula and see the tide in, at this side at least, not so much at the far side, but uh, it was a lovely journey across. So we make you very welcome. We trust that you will be richly blessed for making the effort of coming out this evening. And we're going to read from the Scriptures. You have your Bible with you. We're reading from the Old Testament. First of all, three readings I have this evening. The first you'll find in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis And we're reading from chapter 22, and we're reading from verse 3. Genesis 22 and verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife. And they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Now we're reading in the New Testament now in John's Gospel in chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 22. I'm breaking into this narrative here. There had been priests and Levites sent from Jerusalem to interrogate John, and they had asked him who he was, and verse 22 says, Then said they unto him, Who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. Jesus answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me, and is preferred before me, whose shoe latchets I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, 
which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Our final reading is in Revelation, and uh, we're reading in chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, and we're reading from verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, or freshly slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Now I'm going to read the rest of these verses from the revised version. I think it's a better translation. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed them to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made them unto our God kings and priests, and they shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, and honour, and glory, and power. Be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, 
and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And we know that God will add his own blessing to the public reading of his precious word to all our hearts. Now, just a very short word of prayer. We need the Lord's help to speak on these great issues, and we're going to ask him to come amongst us and bless us this evening. Father, we do not do this because it is our custom, but we do it to acknowledge before all these people our great need of your divine help and that sense of your presence. We pray that you will graciously visit us this evening. We pray that you will bless your people, that you will feed them from your word tonight. We pray for any who would be here who as yet have never put their trust in our Lord Jesus, that they might be dealt with and spoken to by your Holy Spirit, and that tonight they might be led savingly to the foot of the cross. Our Father, we pray that in everything that we say and do this evening, our Lord Jesus will be magnified and glorified. So to this end, we look to you, asking for your help and blessing. In his precious name, amen. Now, I have a lot of things to say to you this evening. I trust you'll have patience with me. I have been before the Lord about the meeting tonight, been praying about it, and I've been exercised about it. So we trust that God will use what I have to say as a means of enlightening someone or helping someone who perhaps tonight is seeking for salvation. Let me say this before I start. I've been reading during the week in Leviticus chapter 2. You can read it when you go home. It's a very interesting passage of scripture. One of the offerings that's mentioned there in the authorized version, it's called the meat offering, but it's actually the meal offering. It was fine flour, frankincense, and oil, and salt were added, but there was to be no honey and no leaven. And so the offerer came and he had to take a handful of this fine meal mixed with the frankincense, the oil, and the salt. Of course, it's a picture of our Lord Jesus. That fine flour, fine and even. Someone said that the Lord Jesus had no outstanding characteristics because all his characteristics were outstanding. It was fine and even. But when the offerer came, and all offerers' hands would surely be a different size, some would be much bigger than others, but when they put their hands into that lovely fine flower which spoke of our Lord Jesus, the most they could ever bring out was a handful. Now I want you to listen carefully. After I have told you everything that God has laid on my heart this evening, 
All I will have imparted to you is that handful. Do you know throughout the countless ages of eternity, as they roll their course over our heads, those of us that are saved, we will never fully understand all the mysteries that are associated with our Lord Jesus. So tonight when I have finished, I am dealing here with an ocean that has no sounding. I will only be ankle deep in that ocean, but I trust the Lord will use the remarks I make this evening to glorify his name and perhaps to lead someone to salvation in Christ. In 1737, now, was anybody around in 1737? If Liam had been here, there might have been a half chance. <laughs> I can say that because he's not here tonight, but it's a long time ago. There was a man called Alexander Cruden. Now, he did a very great work for the Christian world. He compiled a concordance. Now, of course, of course, as you would know, there were no computers in those days. And he was listing words in alphabetical order that would help his readers in days that lay ahead in God's will to find verses of Scripture easily. And you can still get prudence, concordance to this very day. But in that concordance, he listed... 198 names and titles of our Lord Jesus. Now I can see some of you getting a bit worried looking already. I can assure you I'm not going to go through those 198 names and titles. If I can get through 100 of them tonight, I'll be happy. <laughs> but I'm certainly not going to labor you to having to listen to the whole 198 names and titles of our Lord Jesus. Some amazing titles are given to him. He's called the bright and morning star. He's called the son of righteousness. He's called the son of God. He's called the son of man. He's called Alpha. He's called Omega, the beginning and the end. He's called the darling of God's bosom. He's called the Ancient of Days. So many titles and names given to the Lord Jesus. But tonight, I'm only interested in one. It's recorded 31 times in our New Testament. And it's this title, The Lamb. I want to speak to you tonight about the Lamb. First of all, I want to speak about the pre-existence of the Lamb. There's a wonderful verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter says that he was the Lamb who verily was foreordained from before the foundation of the world. There's another wonderful verse in Revelation. It says he was the lamb slain since the foundation of the world. 
What I want to impress in your mind right at the very start of my remarks is this. Bethlehem was not the beginning of the Lord Jesus. Bethlehem was only the manifestation in time of one who had existed from all eternity. John describes him in chapter 1. He calls him the Word. He says the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now listen to these amazing facts that he makes. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. You can go back as far as you want in your mind. Over the hills of a bygone eternity, way back before the stars were ever rolled out on their wondrous paths, or before a ray of light ever shot through the gloom, before the rustle of an angel's wings had ever broken the stillness of heaven, and you will find that the Lord Jesus was there from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. The pre-existence of the Lamb. That reveals to me this remarkable fact. That when Adam sinned, and disobeyed the direct commandment of God in the Garden of Eden, God was not taken by surprise. He had provision already made in the person of his beloved Son. He was a lamb, verily foreordained from before the foundation of the world. And when Adam sinned, God was not taken by surprise. Provision had already been made. In the Lamb. But I want you to see something else. Not only the pre-existence of the Lamb. I want you to see the provision of the Lamb. That's why I read that verse in Genesis 22. What a wonderful story it is. Isaac had saw his father preparing, preparing for sacrifice many times before. He knew everything that his father would have to take with him. He would have to take the fire. He would have to take the wood. He would have to take a knife. But he knew on this occasion something was missing. He didn't know all that God had revealed to Abraham. What a man of faith he was. So Abraham believed that even though he would slay Isaac, and when he had no precedent to go on, this had never happened before. No one had been raised from the dead up to that point. He believed that God would raise him from the dead for all the promises of God were centered in Isaac. And he said to the young man, he said, I and the lad will go yonder to worship and return to you. He was absolutely assured God would raise him from the dead. But Isaac said, Father, where is the lamb? And Isaac came out with this wonderful statement. God will provide for himself a lamb. 
the centuries ran their course. Hundreds of years running into more hundreds of years and that yet the promise was just as true. God will provide for himself a lamb. There were those in Israel when the Lord Jesus came into our world who were looking for that Messiah, who were looking for that lamb to come. You will remember Simeon took the baby up in his arms in the temple and he said, Let now thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And he spoke about the consolation of Israel. Anna, the prophet, asked him in as well. And she said the same things. There were those who were waiting for the coming into the world of the Lamb. John the Baptist is a remarkable character. We sometimes refer to him as the forerunner of our Lord Jesus. Think about this. Imagine being able to go to the Old Testament scriptures and put your finger on a verse and say, that verse refers to me. Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, could do that. She could go to Isaiah. She could put her finger on the verse where it said, A virgin shall conceive and be with child. And Mary could say, in all honesty, that verse refers to me. Joseph of Arimathea. He made his grave, they made his grave with the wicked. You know, when the Lord Jesus died, their intention would have been to have threw his corpse into Gehenna with all the other criminals. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich in the actual Hebrew, it says, with the rich man in his death. Joseph Arimathea could have went to that verse in Isaiah 53. He could have put his finger on it and said, that man is me. I'm the rich man that verse is referring to. John the Baptist was in that category. He was able to go to Isaiah chapter 40, and he was able to put his finger on that verse where it reads, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And John Baptist could have said, That verse refers to me. What a wonderful character he was. God had given him a sign. He was baptizing many people. But God had told him. When the Messiah would be baptized, he would know all about it. Because the Spirit of God would descend upon that one and would abide on him. And John was watching day after day after day for that to happen. Until on this momentous occasion, it did happen. And the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended, and the voice spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And John knew this was the one that God had sent. 
But Jesus was taken away, Mark's Gospel chapter 1 tells me, immediately after his baptism, he was taken into the wilderness to be tested of Satan. For 40 days he was in that wilderness. For six weeks, John did not see him again. And he was watching. And then one day, six weeks later after his baptism, John saw him coming walking along the banks of the Jordan and he points him out and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away, and it's in the singular, please, the sin, this is the root of the problem itself is going to be dealt with, the sin of the world. And then the next day, as he stood with some of his followers, He saw Jesus as he walked and he pointed him out again. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. After all those centuries, the Lord Jesus had now come into our world and his public ministry had commenced at 30 years of age and John identifies him as the Lamb of God. The pre-existence of the Lamb. The provision of the Lamb. I've got to say this. The purity of the Lamb. Here's how Peter describes the Lamb. Without blemish. And without spot. Now I need to listen carefully. If Jesus Christ had committed one sin, if there had been one stain on his holy character during the whole of his life, then he would not have been capable of being your savior or mine. But the Bible is clear. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him is No sin. Even his enemies had to admit it. Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. He said at last I have betrayed. I have sinned and that I have betrayed. The innocent blood. Pilate had to admit three times. I find no fault in this man. The very thief who was crucified with him. He said we receive Me and my other compatriot in crime, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. As I've said, if there had been any stain, any tarnish, any blemish found in him, then he would not have been capable of being our saviour. Exodus 12, you will notice, the paschal lamb was kept from the 10th to the 14th day of the month and killed between the evenings. Three and a half days that lamb was kept, corresponding to the three and a half years of Christ's public ministry. That lamb was examined. It was to make sure there was no flaw, there was no taint, 
Just as the Lord Jesus was scrutinized, he could say himself, the prince of this world cometh, Satan himself, and he findeth nothing in me. What did the Lord Jesus mean? Here's what he meant. He had no fallen nature like ours. There was nothing in him that could respond to the overtures or the temptations of Satan. He was perfectly and impeccably sinless. The pre-existence of the Lamb, the provision of the Lamb, the purity of the Lamb. Now we're getting to the crux. The passion and the pain of the Lamb. This is what the nation of Israel didn't understand. They thought that the Messiah that was coming would just be simply a great general, a great deliverer. And when that didn't happen, we read in John 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Isaiah had prophesied that's what would happen. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But the great purpose of his coming was to die as the Lamb of God for sinners on Calvary. That is why he had come. And so the pain and the passion of the Lamb are right in the very center of our gospel message this evening. I'm going back to Leviticus 2 for a moment. You will find that the meal offering that I mentioned at the very start of my remarks could be prepared in three different ways. It could be cooked on a flat plate. That was just a plate like a griddle. No sides on it, just a flat plate. What does that tell me about? What does God want to pass over to us through that? Well, that's just a very superficial knowledge of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus. Do you know I could go to any house, I would say almost every house in Bally Halbert, and ask them did they know anything about Jesus Christ and I'm absolutely sure nearly everyone could tell me he died on a cross. You see, they have a superficial knowledge of Christ's sufferings and death. But then it could be prepared another way, in a frying pan. This was a pan with sides on it. Now you had to look in to see what was happening and what it speaks of is the appreciation that believers have in the death of the Lord Jesus. Now some of us will appreciate him more than others. As I said, not everyone will lift out the same handful. And some appreciation of him will be deeper in some Christians and more spiritual than it will be in others. But as we look into that frying pan and we see the heat applied and we see the cooking process taking place, it's a picture to us as Christians of sufferings that the Lord Jesus endured. I could start to enumerate them to you tonight. I could speak to you about the scourging 
where they ripped the flesh of his back. I have never watched the Passion of the Christ the whole way through. But I have watched in Mel, Gibbon, Mel Gibson's film that point where they scourged this man who was acting Jesus. And I have to tell you, my heart and my stomach churned as I watched. And we have no idea the sufferings that he must have endured as that Roman lash came down time after time across his blessed back, ripping off the flesh. They tell me that sometimes the very internal organs were laid bare. Such was the cruelty and awfulness of it. We can think about that. We can think about them pulling the hairs of his cheeks until they were red and bleeding and raw. We can think about the crown of thorns that was pushed onto his blessed brow and beaten down until it was embedded. We can think of the filthy spittle that they hurled in his face. We can think of the nails going through his quivering hands and feet as they attached him to the cross. We can think of the shame and the ignominy of him hanging as a common criminal and the mocking and despising the one who had created all things. We can enter into those things to a certain extent. Sometimes we can go a little further. And we can see that there was something even deeper than that which happened at Calvary. You see, the meal offering could be prepared in another way. It could be cooked in the oven and the door was shut. And in the heat and intensity of that oven, the process took place. What is it a picture of? It's a picture of those sufferings that only God himself can understand. How can we understand verses like this? He was made sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How can we understand this? He bare our sins in his own body on the tree. How can we understand what happened in the darkness when he cried out? Why hast thou forsaken me? There are sufferings that took place in the darkness of Calvary that we will never, ever fully understand when God made to meet upon him the iniquity of us all. The hymn writer said, and did the holy and the just, the sovereign of the skies, stoop down to wretchedness and dust that guilty worms might rise? Yes, the Redeemer left his throne, his radiant throne on high, surpassing mercy, love unknown to suffer, bleed, and die. What a mystery it is for people like you and I, sinners of the dust. He left the glories of heaven. Come down to the shame and degradation of the cross. Right into the very darkness as if he was in the oven. It says of the paschal lamb. 
that it wasn't to be eaten raw or sodden at all with water, but roost with fire. Nothing was to come between the lamb and the fire. Roost with fire. His head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof, inwardly and outwardly, spiritually, physically, mentally, we will never fully understand all that Jesus passed through on that cross. Never. You know what I'm going to tell you tonight? To be saved, God doesn't even want you to understand that. You don't need to understand that. All you've got to do is believe that on that cross 2,000 years ago, willingly, voluntarily, in an act of supreme love, he took your place. He died so that you might live. And he's waiting tonight for you. Waiting. Do you know in heaven, he's waiting for sinners to come. He'll receive you with his open arms. He says, come, and I will give you rest. Do you want to be saved tonight? Do you want to know your sins forgiven? Do you want to start anew tonight? You can do it all by simply coming to the Lamb of God and putting your trust and your faith in him. And at the very last point, I want to say a word about it. I'm going to speak... Finally, we've got to read here for you, but I'm going to read finally about the preeminence of the Lamb. What a scene in heaven. What a privilege for John, the apostle, to be allowed to see such a scene. The proclamation goes out. Who is worthy to take the book? There's a throne sitter, God himself. He's holding in his right hand a book. It has seven seals. Who is worthy to take the book? And to loose the seven seals thereof. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy. And John started to weep. And one of the elders said to him, weep not. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. And John says, and I looked, and he was expecting to see a lion. And what he saw was a freshly slain lamb. Do you know the winds of Calvary will always be on the person of the Lord Jesus? You might say to me, why? Why would those winds be there? Because God wants to remind us throughout all eternity of the tremendous price of our salvation. Jesus will always be the freshly slain lamb. But he went and he took the book out of him that sat upon the throne. What days we're living in? Maybe you're asking your own heart, what on earth is going to happen next? Where is all this leading to how is it going to end now if you listen to me for four minutes i'm going to tell you how it's going to end we are heading as quickly as we can travel towards the goal of the ages 
This is the great purpose that God has for Christ. He takes the book as the lamb out of the right hand of him that sits on the throne. And he opens the first five seals. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, you'll find them in chapter 6. Those have nothing to do with the wrath of God. Nothing. This is man's inhumanity to man. As Robbie Burns said, man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn. You say to me, how do you know that, Paul? Because I know that because in the same chapter, when he opens the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, the sun was darkened, the moon was turned into blood, and it ends up by saying, the day of his wrath is come, and the mighty men and the great men are falling and calling on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now his wrath has begun. The first four seals have nothing to do with God's wrath. That's tribulation. There's a big difference between tribulation and wrath. But now his wrath has begun. In chapter 8, he commences... To open that seventh seal. Here's what it says. And there was silence in heaven. For the space. Of half an hour. Why? Because of the solemnity. Of the occasion. God is now just about. To intervene. In the affairs of men. There's going to be seven trumpets blown. There's going to be seven vials of wrath poured out upon this earth upon wicked, hateful, gospel-rejecting humanity. And the whole thing is going to culminate in chapter 19 after those trumpets have been blown, after those vials of wrath have been poured out. Heaven's opened. And I saw a white horse and one that sat in it whose name is faithful and true. And the armies of heaven followed him. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And the announcement is made. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Zechariah says his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Here's the great climax of the ages. The one that was rejected. The one that was crowned with thorns and cast out at Calvary is coming back to reign. Gabriel said of his kingdom, there will be no end. Here's how Paul sums it up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Writing to suffering believers in Thessalonica, he says, to you who are troubled, rest with us. They would have said, when is this going to happen, Paul? When our Lord Jesus shall be revealed with heaven with his holy angels. And then he continues, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And who have obeyed not the gospel. But he's coming to be admired. And all them that love him. 
What a day of coronation that will be when the Lord Jesus, the rejected one, takes his rightful place and reigns. Like those who gathered to David when he was in rejection in the cave of Adullam. Surely as I speak to you believers this evening, every one of you are longing to see him take his rightful place. He has been in rejection long enough. We want to see him sitting on the throne of the universe and reigning supreme. You know, there are three things that Paul tells us that characterize the days in which we live. First of all, he tells us there's anarchy. Evil men shall wax worse and worse. We don't need anyone to tell us about that. When you see a nation that can invade another nation, that can send bombs in indiscriminately to kill innocent men, women, children, and babies, then we understand what Paul was talking about. Evil men shall wax worse and worse. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not going to get better. This is going to get worse. Then he spoke of apostasy. Anarchy in the world, apostasy in the church. He said there would be a falling away, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. What days we live in? Men are rejecting the virgin birth of Christ. Men in ecclesiastical so-called positions, denying the resurrection of Christ, re denying the return of Christ, denying the atoning death of Christ, this is a falling away, an apostasy. And there's something just as serious. There's apathy in our pews. Paul had to say, tell the Romans to awake. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. It is time to awake out of our sleep. We haven't much time left. We have friends not saved. They're going to be lost. Are we really concerned? Are we honestly really concerned? We need to take time to pray about these things. We need to take time to witness to men and women about the Lord Jesus. I know it's not the popular thing to do. I know it will not get you any claps on the back. But I want to tell you it will, it will get his well done when he returns. We've got to be up and about in these days. We're asleep. Paul tells us it's time to awake. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Oh, we're looking for that day. When the Lord Jesus returns in resplendent glory. When the crown of thorns will be replaced with the diadems of the universe. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. That he is Lord. Thank you for your patience. I went over the time. I apologize for that. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing another hymn. And then I'll go to the door and the meeting will then be over. If you're here tonight and you would like to know the Lord Jesus, I want to tell you 
There is no friend like him. You need him more than you need breath itself tonight. You need him. And if you want to talk to any of us, plenty of men here can talk to you just as ably as me. We can't save you. But Maya, we could only lead you to the Lord Jesus and let you put your trust in him. What a night it would be. Don't go home tonight. If God has been speaking and you would really like to get to know this Savior, then you wait behind tonight and talk to some of us about that. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for a sense of your presence. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you for our adorable Savior. We thank you, Father, that he was set apart from before time began. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We thank you, Father, that he was provided by yourself. The day came when he was presented to the nation of Israel, but they rejected him. They cast him out. But we know it was all in accordance to the foreknowledge of God. And Father, through his death, what blessing has come to this world of ours. We thank you for the purity of the Lamb. We thank you, Father, for his pain and passion for that substitutionary death that he died when he took the sinner's place and suffered in his stead. And Father, we look forward to his preeminence when he will be admired in all his saints and worshipped throughout the universe. Our Father, we look forward to that day. Bless your word, we pray. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.